Hi, uh, this is Herb Kressel, uh, and welcome to this month's Radiology Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with uh, Dr. Eheb Kamal, who is Professor of Radiology at the uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital, uh, Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. And uh, Dr. Uh, Kamal and Dr. Bonecamp and their colleagues have uh, written two fascinating papers appearing in this month's radiology. The first uh, is entitled MRI of Unresectable Hepatocellular Carcinoma After Intraarterial Therapy, Identification and Validation of Volumetric Functional Response Criteria. And the second, part two, uh, deals with response stratification using volumetric functional criteria after intraarterial therapy. Uh, welcome, Dr. Kamel. Thank you very much for the introduction. Certainly yes, very, very nice to chat with you about these interesting papers. Uh, can you uh, tell us what was the rationale for uh, the two studies uh, that you published? Basically, uh, we, as well as other investigators, have found that there are functional changes, particularly in enhancement and ADC, the apparent diffusion coefficient maps, that occur early after intraarterial therapy of unresectable hepatocellular carcinoma, as well as other tumors. So the rationale was to identify the cutoff criteria that could be used to indicate what a real response is as opposed to fluctuation due to background change of variability in the measurements. So one is to identify these thresholds and look how if to test these thresholds to see how effective they are in predicting response. Okay, and can you briefly summarize sort of what you did and what you found? Uh, so, we evaluated 143 patients with unresectable hepatocellular carcinoma. They all had a single intraarterial therapy because we needed to see if the change occurs early after therapy because that would help determine if there is a need to repeat therapy. Mm -hmm. and. The first part, we wanted to identify the thresholds for these changes. So what we did is we had a split sample um, validation approach to test these thresholds. In other words, we took 80% of the data and did a Cox regression model to identify which cutoffs best reflect change that results in a survival benefit. So that is how we identified the thresholds. And then in the remaining 20%, we validated these thresholds to determine if these assumptions or these conclusions do in fact reflect a change that could result in a survival benefit. Well, th thank you. Well, we, we were very pleased that you separated the test set and the validation set. It's one of the most common methodologic problems that we see is a retrospective population. The same population is used to derive 
uh, and uh, not to validate uh, uh, the, uh, the thresholds and cutoffs that were used. So that is a very, very important strength of this study. And, and what did you find? What were the useful cutoffs? So what we found out is that increase in ADC above 23%, and we used 25% just for simplicity, increase in ADC above 25% of the targeted lesion is indicative of a favorable response. Also, decrease in enhancement by 65% also indicates a favorable response. Okay, so uh, interesting. Now, uh, you didn't use, although you're looking at perfusion and uh, diffusion changes, you didn't use sort of IVIM, you know, incoherent motion and diffusion, perfusion diffusion metrics. Do you think that has a there's a role for that sort of analysis for this application? Definitely, we use the simplified approach that exists in every almost every routine MR imaging of the liver. So we try to be simple to make it clinically applicable. We use your regular diffusion, your regular arterial and venous enhancement to extract this information. So certainly there's room for more advanced processes that we can do in the future, but the objective here was try to make it simple. I noticed you use venous perfusion, but uh, with metastatic disease, most of the perfusion is arterial. Did you look at arterial perfusion? We did look at arterial as well as venous perfusion. The arterial perfusion in our case was limited because of the variability in the time enhancement of the arterial phase. They were not consistently timed based on a threshold, uh, meaning we used a fixed time delay of 20 seconds. I see and that created some variability. Also, I noticed even visually when we're determining enhancement, the venous enhancement is more consistent and the lack of venous enhancement is more consistent, especially after therapy. So after intra-arterial therapy, I look at the arterial phase certainly, but oftentimes tumors are poorly vascularized, when you think of the unresectable hepatocellular carcinoma, these are not the small HCCs that are hypervascular and washing out. Most of them are necrotic even at the arterial phase baseline. That's why we have results for the arterial phase, but the reproducibility was more consistent on the portal venous phase. Oh, good. And now the other thing, uh, uh, Dr. Kamel, that comes up is uh, we're seeing a number of groups, uh, perhaps in other tumors, not necessarily hepatocellular carcinoma, are starting to look at the subpopulation with sort of the, uh, the most aggressive ADC values, the lowest ADC values as driving the uh, behavior of the tumor, the subsequent biologic behavior. Uh, I think we're seeing that in prostate, for example. I wonder, have you thought about sort of this approach? 
We have and we're currently reanalyzing the data since it all exists. And this is something that we'll be reporting uh, about shortly. But in the current manuscript, we wanted to get a global ADC. And that's why we went for the volumetric approach mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. compared to a single ROI. Uh, the uh, other issue that comes up commonly is uh, the notion of the effect of tumor heterogeneity, either heterogeneity between lesions in the same patient or heterogeneity within patients, I guess we've, within a lesion. And I guess we've talked about the within lesion, but have you looked at the heterogeneity between lesions in the same patient? Definitely, it is well known that tumors have a variable response. This is a little bit less of an issue in unresectable large hepatocellular carcinoma where typically there is one large tumor that is targeted. Mm -hmm. Now, because of that concern, we're also looking at entire targeted tumor burden and this is work in progress that we're currently analyzing the data but that's an excellent point it is more relevant though in neuroendocrine or islet cell or cases of numerous smaller lesions but when you think of an unresectable hepatocellular carcinoma it's usually one large lesion that is targeted and that targeting is typically to that biggest lesion. And that is most likely the one driving the response. I see. Uh, I'd like to move to discuss part two a little bit. Now, can you tell us what questions you attempted to answer in the part two paper? So the part two paper was the actual more interesting part of the project, which is can volumetric functional MRI stratify responders and non-responders better than the current anatomic or biochemical criteria? In other words, we know that there are existing RESIST, M-RESIST, and ESL criteria, and we know that AFP, for example, is currently used to assess for response. But the question was, now we identify these cutoffs. Can these parameters help stratify responders from non-responders with the outcome of overall survival as the final endpoint? And, and what did you find? This was very exciting because what we found out is that clearly ADC increase by 25% can distinguish responders from non-responders with high accuracy. Also, lack of enhancement reduction by 65% can have similar results. The most exciting part is that when we use the multi-parametric approach, when we combine increase in ADC with reduction enhancement, we call this the dual responders, the dual parameter response, as opposed to the single parameter, increase in ADC or loss of enhancement. And then the stable disease on non-responders 
which is no change in ADC, no change in enhancement. We found that there is a significant survival difference between these three groups. The first group, the dual responders, up to 40 months of survival benefit compared to the one parameter, about 28 months, hmm. and non-responders about eight to nine months. Wow. So that was excellent stratification of responders from non-responders. Well, have you, have you thought about how the biology, uh, what's happening in the tumor biology that uh, explains why the dual responders do better? What is it telling us about the tumor behavior? It's probably telling us that, number one, the obstruction of blood supply interfered with the vascularity, which is what decrease in enhancement results uh, from. And the second part is now the interruption of the blood supply resulted in cell kill with increase in the apparent diffusion coefficient. So the combination of these two ensure that there is true cell kill and a significant survival benefit was achieved. As opposed to one parameter, maybe the interruption of the blood supply reduce the vascularity, but there's still some viable tumor, perhaps mm -hmm. from a different blood supply or from a different part of the tumor. So certainly the most interesting group actually that we're currently studying is the, the single parameter responders. Because the dual parameters ensure success, the non-responders we need to retreat, but why one occurs and not the other is an interesting group of population to study. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of a, a paper you and your colleagues wrote a few years ago where you looked at the temporal evolution of perfusion changes and diffusion changes. And at the time, I believe we had an editorial even mapping the biology and talking about this phenomenon. And if I remember correctly, this three to four weeks is when the perfusion change is waning but still present and the diffusion change is starting to rise. So it, it may be a particularly good time to look at that. I see you smiling. Is that correct? It's absolutely true. And uh, it's we're looking at the data again because after three to four weeks, the ADC, which increased in responders, starts to decrease. And it's not I don't think it's indicative of recurrence. I think there may be dehydration that occurred and makes it less significant metric, whereas lack of enhancement would persist for a longer period of time. Okay. And then I note in your discussion of uh, part two, uh, you identified the important point of sort of not seeing a statistically significant difference doesn't mean that one isn't present. And, you raise some concern about the statistical power of your study. Do you want to comment about that? Certainly, um, as you stratify, you lose sample size. And our first articles were within 30 or 40, 50 patients. Now we've gone to 143. But when you stratify into three groups, then you lose sample size and definitely statistical power gets affected. But the tendencies are real, and the fact that we saw it on different patient populations, and uh, the fact that you have two respond, you know, two metric response, 
is very, very uh, robust, and we constantly see this even moving forward in our clinical patients that we analyze here at Hopkins. Very good. And I guess one last question for you. Where is this going clinically? Are you using uh, these volumetric uh, functional changes to help guide management? Do you think it's going to take a long time? Do you think your results can be reproduced in other centers? The answer is yes, we use it clinically. That was actually the, in the main uh, motive for performing this study, is that we felt that the technique the acquisitions are pretty straightforward. The software generates volumetrics, and I think there is a significant advantage of including the entire tumor volume because oftentimes we are tempted to measure, and that's actually the requiring uh, requirement of measuring resist, is you look at the slice with the biggest tumor volume, but we all know and we've seen in our practice that oftentimes that slice may not have the residual enhancement, mm -hmm. which may be seen on the top or the bottom of the Makes tumor sense. in craniocaudal. So certainly getting the tumor volume uh, is a better metric. And, and looking at volumetric assessment, we use that routinely because we found that that will take a lot longer for resist to show any response. Indeed, in our paper, resist response 89, over 90% of these patients had stable disease by resist. Uh -huh. And that's almost expected. I don't expect size change in one month, right. but that doesn't help me make a decision. Also, the problem with looking at M-resist or ESL alone is that in about a third of our patients, we couldn't measure them because the rim of enhancement was difficult to measure mm -hmm. based on uh, M-resist or ESL. So, um, we, we use it clinically, and it's been very helpful in stratifying our patient population. Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Dr. Kamal. I really want, I've, I've enjoyed your, the work of your group in this area, and uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you about it. And we look forward to future papers on this subject from your group. Thank you very much, and it's been a pleasure, and always looking forward to contributing to radiology and the RSNA. Thank, Thank you very much. Bye-bye.